That, that's, I like that. I like that. Thank you so much. Wow. Well, it is a joy to be here. I am Paul Davis. I have my wife Martha with us. We have the joy of serving you at uh, ABWE. And uh, we are a missions agency. Uh, you'll notice I did not say missions Missionary Sending Agency. We are a missions agency. Our job is to help local churches obey the Great Commission and send missionaries to every nation, every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue, and to ultimately be a part of what God is doing when he gathers in that last day, when he gathers every kindred, tribe, nation, and tongue around his throne, and we all praise him. Amen? Well, it's our joy. We've, we've had a partnership with Gray Road for, for many, many years, long before I became president. And, and uh, you, you first sent us some strange missionaries. I just have to say that. Um, I've been dying to use that line, Pastor, for, for, for a while now. Uh, and we're grateful to have the strangers serve with us. And, uh, and you need to know John and Pam Sharp are a wonderful part of one of the things that they're doing, one of their ministries, is to coach our new missionaries. And can I just tell you, God is moving in North America because we are seeing an influx of new missionaries. We have a class in October, a new candidate class of new missionaries in October. We have 37 new missionaries coming. And John and Pam will be a part of coaching them and helping them get off the ground. And, and that's, a, that's a powerful ministry. We've already sent or appointed 42 missionaries so far this year. So, so that's going to be almost 90 missionaries that John and Pam will be, just, they're solely responsible for their flourishing on the field. And uh, no, they aren't solely responsible, but uh, that is their ministry. We'll, we'll partner with them to help, help that happen as well. But it's our delight to have uh, John and Pam. I'm grateful that you're supporting and encouraging the Kay family. Uh, as they go to, uh, to the Middle East. You need to know that they are uh, looking to join a team that Martha and I just spent some time with. And that team is a, it's a, it's a healthy team. And it's, it's good to know that you're sending the K family to a team that is healthy, it's vibrant. Uh, one of the things that they've just seen that you don't typically see in the Middle East is uh, one of the churches that they've recently planted uh, just baptized within the last six months about 13 new believers. And that's incredible in that part of the world to see that many new believers get followed the Lord in baptism. And so we're excited that, uh, that they're going to be a part of that flourishing uh, team that's seeing fruit uh, for the gospel. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me, we're actually going to be in the Great Commission passage of Matthew chapter 28, but I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, First, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to read the passage, it's a passage that uh, is setting the tone for this missions emphasis time. And I want to read to you the passage surrounding our theme, which is for the sake of the gospel, that's our theme, that that theme comes from 1 Corinthians 9.23 where Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. 
But I want to read to you the passage leading up to it, and I want to ask you a question. Starting in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is the Apostle Paul sharing his heart with the, the Corinthians. And this is what Paul says. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. That I might win more of them. To Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law. That I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law I became as one outside of the law. Not being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Here's the question. Why? Why would Paul do that? It's very easy to read this passage and think to yourself, well, you know, he became like a Jew, he became like... Uh, a, a Gentile, he became like somebody who's weak, but, but listen, these, these are not light things. If Paul's making himself a Jew, he's taking on all of these Jewish lifestyle commands, things that he wouldn't have to do, but he put them voluntarily in his life. He, he volunteered to, to live a certain way, to dress a certain way, to act a certain way, to eat certain foods, or when he became a Gentile, to not eat those things and, and, to, and, and to do things that he wouldn't normally do and to become weak. Why would Paul voluntarily put himself through all of those things? That by all means I might save some. What gave Paul this drive? What did Paul know that drove him to, to sacrifice his personal lifestyle? He, Paul could, Paul's free in Christ. He's free in Christ to live. In a, he says he's not free from the law of Christ, but we, we live in, in accordance with the freedom in Christ. But Paul's putting on all of these things, or he, or he takes all of these things off. Why was, why was Paul shaping his life and living in such? There's something that Paul knew there's something that Paul understood that shaped and formed everything about his life. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why North American, many North American Christians are struggling in their walk with Christ is because they're living much smaller lives. Let me say that. They're living much smaller lives than God has intended for them. I'm going to say that again. I think one of the reasons why many North American Christians are struggling in their walk with Christ is because they're living much smaller lives than God has intended for them. And the Apostle Paul got a hold of something that allowed him to say, you know what, I can live this way to reach these people. I can live that way. To, it doesn't bother me to live this way. I can be weak. I can be, I can be rich. I can be poor. I can, be, I, can, I can act young. I can act old. That I might save some. And I think one of the things that Paul understood is the Great Commission. 
And uh, you, I want you to take your Bibles, turn there to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It's interesting because some statistics recently came out about the North American church. And uh, the North American church, I think many times we think, well, everybody knows what the Great Commission is. Mm. Not according to polling data of Christians. And so we're going we're gonna to do something here this morning. We're going to assume, I'm going to assume, you've never heard the Great Commission in your life. I'm going to assume here this morning that, that you don't know what the Great Commission, if, if I asked you to pull out the Great Commission, you know, you wouldn't know where to turn, you wouldn't know what, you don't have it underlined in your Bible, you don't have a couple words circled, you don't have an asterisk next to it. Um, I'm assuming that you've never heard Pastor Johnson preach a message on it, that it's, it's never come across your, your plate before. I'm just going to assume that, okay? Can we, can we start there? And then let's ask, let's ask the Holy Spirit to do something fresh. Would you love to have something fresh happen in your soul this morning? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to do that. Father, we're going to spend some time taking a fresh look three verses of your scripture. Would you, Lord, send your spirit in such a way that he would convince us of the things that we need to be convinced of, convict us in areas that we need conviction, that he would change us and make us new, that he would open our eyes to what you would have us here. Lord, I pray that you would have free reign and free course in our thinking. This morning we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking your Bibles, and if you're in Matthew chapter 28, you should all have your Bibles open to that passage. We're going to start in verse 16, because verse 16 is really where the Great Commission starts. It gives us the context for when it's happening. Uh, because you've never heard the Great Commission before, let me just let you know this, that this message of the Great Commission comes right after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is going to be speaking to his disciples. He's going to give his disciples the Great Commission. But you need to understand what the disciples have just been through. The disciples have just been through the worst three days of their lives. They had been following Jesus around, some of them, for three years. They had drank the Kool-Aid, right? They believed in Jesus. They saw Jesus do miracles. They saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Some of the disciples saw Jesus transfigure and, and Moses and Elijah appeared next to Jesus and they saw him in his glory. And these disciples, they, they were following hard after Jesus. And then they saw him taken captive. The guy who walks on water can be held by Roman guards and beaten and whipped and mocked, the crown of thorns upon his head, nails through his hands and his feet, hung on a cross, brutalized by Roman soldiers, mocked by everyone who walked by, spit upon, we're told his beard was pulled. And the disciples had to have been thinking during this three-day period because they all kind of ab abandoned him. They had to be thinking, 
What did I miss? I listened to everything that he said. I, I, I believed him, and, and, and now he's, he, he's dead? Day one, day two, day three, all of a sudden there's resurrection stories happening, and sightings of Jesus and, 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 and some of the women have come to say that they've seen him and some of the disciples have seen him and, and now Jesus has told them, go to Galilee, go to, go to a mountain in Galilee and wait there for me. And so this is verse 16. So the disciples, the 11 disciples, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, so Jesus appears to him, they worship him, but some what class? Don't miss this. Some saw Jesus, and as soon as he appeared to them, some saw them, and some immediately got it. Some saw him, and they were just like, this makes completely sense. He said he would, he, he, the temple would be destroyed, and three days it would be rebuilt, and they saw Jesus, and they're just like, I get it. He's, he's risen from the dead. And they worshiped him. They fell at his feet. And we're told some of the disciples literally were weeping at his feet. But catch this. Some of the disciples, and we know we talk about Thomas, but we're told here apparently it wasn't just Thomas that doubted. But some doubted. And let me tell you, this right here, that. The, some doubted, that phrase right there gives me hope. Let me tell you why. Because whatever Jesus says next, he's saying it to some people who have it all figured out, who understood completely who Jesus is, and they understand what he's doing, and they're getting it, and they fell down and worshiped him. But whatever Jesus says next, he's also saying it to some people who don't have it quite figured out yet who haven't got it all worked out yet. And see, what we're going to find is the Great Commission isn't just for, for believers who have it all figured out, who are ready when they, when they see Jesus, they fall down and they worship him, and their life is completely in order, and they've got it all figured out, and there's no doubts, there's no concerns, there's no anything, they just have it all. Apparently, the Great Commission is for some people who still have some working out to do in their life. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope that I don't have to be perfect to be on mission with what God's going to give next. And so these disciples, some of them doubting, some of them worshiping, they see Jesus, and Jesus comes to them, and he came to them, and he starts off with the Great Commission. And he starts off interesting because he starts off the Great Commission with this phrase, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now that's an interesting way to start a talk with someone. When my daughter was in junior high, one of the things that we used to talk about was uh, whether or not she could stay out late on, on a weekend. When she was about 13 years old, she thought it would be great for her to be able to spend time at, with her friends up till like 11 o'clock at night. And I would say, yeah, 9.30, 10 o'clock sounds good. 
let's, let's have you back at 10 o'clock. And she'd say, no, Dad, it's 11. You know, and I'd say, no, it's 10. And she'd say, no, 11. And I'd say, it's 10. We'd have an argument is what we'd have. Until finally I would say this, sweetie, I'm your father. You're going to be home at 10 o'clock. Cut it off. That was it. And how Jesus begins this conversation with his disciples, what he's going to say next is it's, it's like he's starting the conversation saying, look guys, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has just won the victory over death. Jesus has just risen from the dead. The Father has given him all authority in heaven and earth. So anything that Jesus says next is going to carry the weight and the authority of him who has all the authority. Can I just tell you that this is important when it comes to missions? Because um, this is being broadcast, so I can neither confirm nor deny that there may be missionaries in countries where it's illegal to be a missionary. You, you get what I'm saying here? Track with me. If there were missionaries in a country where it's illegal to be a missionary, you have to think to yourself, well, doesn't the scriptures tell us that we're to obey those in authority over us? then how can you be a missionary in a place where you shouldn't be a missionary? Aren't you disobeying government authorities? Like, how does that work? What are the, what are the ethics of that, Paul? Well, the ethics of that boil down to who has the authority in heaven and earth? Who is the king of kings and the lord of lords? Who has the power to obey the, the seas and the oceans and they obey him? Who has the, the power to create universes that will yield and bend to his command and his words? Who has all of the authority in heaven and earth? Jesus Christ does. So if he commands us something, we are obligated to obey, just as the wind and the waves obey him. So, the, so Jesus establishes his authority here. It's like, he's like he's saying, look guys, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So then he goes on to the, what we consider the Great Commission. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And because you've never heard this before, I'll read the whole thing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This morning, at the, at the risk of, of putting this whole section asleep right here, because I know this is the sleepy section, um, we're going to get a little grammatical here this morning. I'm sorry. Um, and I apologize. If, if you came expecting not getting a grammar lesson, I, I apologize. And do we have any English teachers in the room? Any English teachers? Right. Oh, oh, you're an English teacher? Okay, now I have to, now I have to really get it right. Okay, so we're going to actually, uh, I, I want to actually tear apart the Great Commission, and we're going to do a little bit of grammar. So every sentence has a subject and a what, class? Subject and a predicate. And sometimes we call predicates verbs, right? 
and subject and a verb, subject and a predicate, right? So every sentence, every full sentence has it. The Great Commission has a subject and a predicate, a subject and a verb. The main verb of the Great Commission is what class? Make disciples, right. You, you nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it, okay? The main verb of the Great Commission is, we often think it's go. I'm going to tell you, that's a participle. We'll talk about that in a second, okay? The main verb of the Great Commission is to make disciples. And if you take the very simplest form of a sentence and you just take the predicate, the action, you take just the action of the sentence, you take away the subject, take away the participles that we're going to talk about, the main action of the Great Commission is make disciples. Class, if you boiled down the Great Commission to two words, it's make disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Make disciples. A disciple is a follower. A learner. Someone who's captivated or fascinated. Sometimes we call them like an enthusiast. If, if someone loves model airplanes, they, they build model airplanes and they paint model airplanes and they fly model airplanes, they're, they're an enthusiast. A disciple is very much like that. Someone who is enthused by, empowered by, someone who follows the person. And they're a disciple. Someone who learns how to be like the person who's discipling them. And so we are told to be disciple makers, to, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to make followers of Jesus Christ that, that will be in the process of creating. And, and listen, this is, this is an awesome task. The, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, tells us that we are Christ's ambassadors. We are God's ambassadors, that God makes his appeal to the nations. God make, to those who don't know who Jesus Christ is yet, God makes his appeal through people, through us. As believers in Jesus Christ, it's our role in this world, it's our mission, it's our responsibility to be ambassadors for Christ. Taking the message, not our message, an ambassador doesn't carry his message, an ambassador carries the message for him who he's serving. So we take the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations. And God will make his appeal to the heart and to the souls and to the mind, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the words that we communicate. And it's this beautiful working of, for whatever reason, I think God could just say, you're saved, you're saved, just boom, 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 boom. But through whatever reason, God chooses to use those that he has redeemed to redeem others. And we get to be a part of that. And the, the phrase make disciples, in the Greek, it's, it's, in, it's in an imperative tense. It's, it, it's not just a suggestion. One of the things that I think every single person needs to understand in their life and to work through in their thinking, in their mind about the Great Commission is this. Is the Great Commission a volunteer opportunity or a command? 
Because if the Great Commission is a volunteer opportunity and Jesus is walking around like a, like a, a gym teacher with a clipboard signing people up to do their little exercises and to do things for them, if that's what the Great Commission is, then I think many North Americans are living their lives as big as they'll ever live it. But if the Great Commission is a command to be obeyed and we're living like it's a volunteer opportunity... Choke on that for a minute. Make followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the, we have a subject and a predicate. That makes up the sentence. So what is the subject of the Great Commission? Now, I want you to, you've got your Bibles open there. Look, look for the subject in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You know make disciples is the main verb. Baptizing them and teaching. You, you, you see all of these I-N-G words in here. What, what is the subject of the sentence? Oh, you, some of you guys took English class. Yeah, it's an understood you. So in other words, if you wanted to say the Great Commission and, and have the word there, it's you go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Who's to make disciples? Who makes you make disciples? Me? Yes, you. You make disciples. Every follower of Jesus Christ is a part of the you. You go, therefore, and make disciples. And we're to make disciples of only those people that are close to us, right? We're to make disciples of only those that come and show up at the door of Gray Road Baptist Church, right? Only those who come to our Sunday school class, those are who are to make disciples of, right? Or it's Indianapolis. We're, we're only to make disciples of those people in Indianapolis, right? We are to go, therefore, you go, you go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Panta ta ethne is the Greek. All, we get the word ethne, ethnicity, all ethnicity, all peoples. Make disciples of all. You. You make disciples of all peoples. Now I told you there's participles in this sentence. And I'm sorry, for this side over here, you guys can, you guys can just go to sleep as we talk about participles. I understand that. Uh, we we got to talk about some participles because there's three participles. Now a participle... Um, you know, this, this is where it gets a little bit technical in the grammar. A participle, participle, <laughs> sorry, a participle is a, a verb acting like an adjective. It's, it's, a, it's a verb word, it's a, it's, it's a verby word, it's going to have an ing or, or maybe not, but it's a verby word that's going to add color or clarity or understanding to the main verb. There are three participles, and I think you've already probably picked them out. They are go, baptizing, and teaching. In other words, those three words are feeding meaning to the make disciples. So what we're going to do is we're going to be able to answer the question, how are we to go make disciples? If we are commanded, you make disciples, how are we to do that? Well, our participles add color and connotation and understanding to that disciple-making process. 
We're going to first make disciples by going. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, go means a lot of things, but one thing that go doesn't mean is stay. Let's be real. Go means a lot of things. The idea of going is going on a long journey. It's, it's, it's not one step, it's multiple steps. It's going someplace that you currently are not at. Going has the meaning, has the understanding of taking the initiative. The idea is this, how are we going to make disciples? Well, we're not going to make disciples by sitting around. There's a lot of ways that we can do it, but it won't happen if we just sit around. We have to go. We have to take the initiative. It will be the first step. We will be the first step. It's a pastor saying, listen, I'm not going to wait for people to come. We're going to go out into the community and reach. And, and I love how you have some volunteer opportunities in the community where it's not just, hey, we're waiting for people to walk in the door of our church. We're going into the community to be able to serve the community. Why? We're taking the initiative. We're, we're making the invitation. We're taking the first step towards those who need to be made as a disciple. So how are we going to make disciples? We're going to do it by going. The second thing that we're, the second participle there is baptizing. Now, I got to confess, when I first began looking at the Great Commission, and I thought to myself, going, man, there's a lot in going. And there's a lot in teaching teaching everything that I've commanded you. We'll go there in a second, but there's a lot there. But baptizing, that's like 15 minutes in the water. But baptism represents much more than just getting wet. You see, when a person follows the Lord and believer's baptism, come with me over to the Middle East where those 13 new believers just followed Christ and believer's baptism. Let me tell you what they did. They're getting in the water and following the Lord. That water represented the cleansing of their sins. And so they're picturing this cleansing of their sin. Going under the water represents them dying to an old way of living and raising to a new way of living. It represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in front of every Muslim friend who believes that Jesus is a fraud and a fake and a, and a, and a, and a prophet of second order. They're identifying with Jesus Christ and saying, listen, just in the same way that Jesus died, buried, and rose again, I have died to my old way of living, and I am raised in newness of life. And so baptism represents all of the newness, all of the transformation. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians chapter 4, where we put off the old garments and we put on new garments. This transformation that takes place where our mind is set free, where we're, we're released from the bondage of sin and we grow in Christ-likeness. All of this transformation is wrapped up in this, the cleansing waters and the death, burial, and resurrection picture that's going on. So don't think that baptism is just 15 minutes in a tank of water with a fun service at church. No. It represents so much more. And Paul says, and Jesus says, 
Go, therefore, take the initiative and make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, all over the world, every people group and language group that you can think of, take it there. And when you go there, when you're making those disciples, bring all the transformational truths that the gospel releases in a person's life. All of the newness that comes, bring that along with it. Make sure that they're putting off the old and putting on the new. Make sure that their mind is being transformed. Make sure that, that they're understanding how they fit into the body of Christ and that each body of, person in the body of Christ is a member, one of another, working together to form the universal body of Christ. All of that is a part of baptism. That's huge. You got to bring that in as we're making disciples. The last thing we need to bring in is teaching everything that I've commanded you. This is the clarion call to spiritual maturity. We don't leave new young disciples uncared for and unfed. We provide shepherds for them. That's why we have pastors. That's why we have teachers. That's why we have spiritual gifts. That's why you've been given a spiritual gift, by the way, so that you can bring someone along towards maturity. Teaching everything that I've commanded. This is the Great Commission. And it comes with a fabulous process, promise as this, that he who has all of the authority in heaven and earth will be, what's the last phrase? I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. This morning, very early in the morning, I drove my wife crazy by getting out of bed when it was still very dark. And I began praying for you this morning as you're hearing the Great Commission for the first time. And what I was doing is, as I was praying for you, I was thinking of, and I, and I wrote down some, some questions, some reflection questions I wanted to ask you as I was wrapping up. Here's what I wrote down. Have you been viewing the Great Commission as a volunteer activity? And if it is a command, what do you need to change or do? Have you been viewing the Great Commission as a volunteer? Like, if I get around to it, I'll, I'll do some disciple making. If it is a command, what do you need to change or do? Here's the second thing I wrote down. Not everyone is sent from the church. Let's be real. When, when I'm saying the word go, I'm not saying every one of you are going to move across the world and become a missionary. Again, Acts chapter 13 is our guide. The Holy Spirit set aside Paul and Barnabas to be missionaries. The rest of the church sent them, but the entire church was faithful to the command to go. Okay? They were all taking the initiative. Some of the church were laying hands and supporting Paul and giving to Paul and providing for his needs, and Paul and Barnabas were going. So everyone is, not everyone is sent out from the church as a missionary but every believer is called to go. Here's my question for you. How far are you willing to go? How far has God gifted you to go? There are some in here who are gifted linguistically. 
Why has God given you that gift? There are some of you who are gifted financially. Why has God given you that gift? There are some of you that are stronger than anyone around you, and you know who you are. You can work harder, you can work longer than most people around you, and you see it every single day as you're energized at the end of the day and everybody else is exhausted around you, and you wonder, why has God given you that extra energy? Why indeed? I've got two more, okay? And I'll finish up, Pastor, I promise. Many of us have trusted Christ and followed him, but we've not put it all on the table. What's stopping you from putting it all on the table for the Lord to use? Here am I. What did Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. Have you put it on the table? You've trusted him as your savior. You've trusted him as your Lord. You're following him. You're becoming a disciple yourself. And maybe you're even making disciples here. But have you laid it all on the table? Last. At one point in our lives, many of us have said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm in. Wonder if you're willing to recommit to that this morning. I remember as a teenager, I was at camp and they did one of those campfire things, right? And I told the Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I mean, maybe someone, maybe you need to rethink about that this morning. And here's the last thing. I wonder if you'd be willing to say, King Jesus, I give you the authority in my life to send me wherever you want me to go. I wonder if you prayed that prayer, what might happen? I'm the president of a mission agency. I, I, I don't know what the career path is to get that done. I can tell you this, though. Every time we did a missions emphasis, I would say something like, Lord, if you want us in missions, and I was already a pastor, so I had a good excuse not to do it. But whenever we'd have a missions challenge, I'd say, Lord, wherever you want us to go, and we would push on a door, and, and the Lord might let a door open, he mean, no. But I wonder if you would say that, King Jesus... I give you the authority in my life. Not like he doesn't already have it, right? But I give you the authority. Wherever you tell me to go, that's where I'll go. Father, we're grateful that your son revealed not just who he was, it revealed not just your plan for redeeming people to yourself, but Lord, he's included us. He sent us to go and to make disciples of all nations. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to that task. Would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, like we prayed at the beginning, convince us and convict us where we need to be convinced and convicted, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.
Amen.